of you in the college are graduating? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay. I remember when I graduated from here, and I remember taking my last final and realizing that it was over. And I just remember, you know, running back to the dorm, running through the dorm hallway, screaming and jumping up and down, all the way up to the ceiling tiles, grabbing them just so I could not believe that it was done. Praise the Lord for finishing something that you start. Take your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Today I want to preach on forgiveness. Forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3. One man said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and only to discover that the prisoner was you. You. And I want to ask you today, are you in any way in a prison house of unforgiveness? I want to deal with that sin today. I really enjoyed this quote. I sent it out to some people a week ago. Forgiveness is giving up on getting even. Forgiveness is giving up on getting even. I believe with all my heart that we have a big problem in our churches today with this sin of unforgiveness. Uh, We know how to hold grudges. We know how to hold things against people. Uh, It comes naturally to some people, but that certainly doesn't make it right. They say that Coca-Cola has enough acid in it that if you were to put a raw steak in a bowl of that pop, the steak would be gone in three days. It doesn't matter how tender you think you are, unforgiveness will eat you up. They say the same thing about a nail. They say if you put a nail, I'm not sure if it's three days, but eventually Coca-Cola will dissolve a nail. We drink that stuff. But it doesn't matter how sharp you think you are, sharp as nails. It doesn't matter how sharp you think you are. Unforgiveness will eat you up. That's what unforgiveness is doing to perhaps someone here today. For a long time, this is a very personal message, because for a long time I struggled with the sin of unforgiveness. In fact, it's one of the sins that when I was saved that I knew I needed to turn from as I turned to Christ, I repented of my sin. Unforgiveness was a huge part of that. We're going to read verses that most of you have probably memorized. They're not new verses, but I'm not impressed today if you can quote the verse. I'm impressed, and I believe God is impressed if you live them. It's going to be hard for you to minister in God's church if you're held back by unforgiveness in your heart you're going to destroy whatever Christian influence you hope to leave on this world by being a slave to your fiery passions and so I want us to get a hold of the Bible let God search our hearts and root out unforgiveness wherever it may be found and I want to do this by first of all reminding you that The book of Colossians is a prison epistle, Uh, one of a few of the books that Paul wrote in jail. Philippians, 
Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians. What's the point? Well, if I'm going to preach on forgiveness, obviously we're going to look at a verse that deals with that topic. And I mentioned that it's a prison epistle on purpose because if Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, of course, can write this in jail, how much more should we be able to forgive in freedom? So look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 13. The Bible says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. And Lord, I, I thank you for dealing in my heart about this issue of forgiveness. And Lord, you gave me grace to forgive when I never thought it would be possible. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. And Lord, I want to be a blessing, a help, a challenge. I pray that your word would convict our hearts. Oh, Lord, we need to be convicted in this area. It will make us so much more useful for your work if we get a hold of it. Help us, Lord, as we preach your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. The aim of a child of God should be true holiness. And as I walk in my Christian life, I have tried to seek for ways to um, have better devotions, to enhance my walk with the Lord, to really make my time with the Lord meaningful. One of the things that I came across um, last year was a Charles Spurgeon study Bible. And uh, I saw it online, and at the time they didn't offer it in a King James Version, so of course I didn't purchase, but uh, since then they have published this in the King James Version of the Bible. And it's a Charles Spurgeon, some of you guys might want to write that down, a Charles Spurgeon study Bible. What it's done is it's taken a lot of his quotes and embedded them into passages of scripture where they uh, would fit and appear. It's taken some of his sermons written in his own handwriting, the small piece of paper that he would take to the pulpit, and those are here uh, in certain passages with the type version so that you can actually read it uh, next to it, and just all kinds of Spurgeon goodies right there in the text. And so I, I really enjoy this tool uh, and when you come to the text passage for today, Spurgeon had something to say about it. And so I want to read what he said before I move on to the message. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Charles Spurgeon, quote, what a model is set before us. How perfect is that spirit of love that we are to manifest, even as Christ forgave us, we are bidden to forgive others. What nobler pattern could have been chosen? Your Lord himself stands before you. You remember how he forgave you all your trespasses, and I am sure you will give earnest heed to his exhortation to forgive. And I like this last quote. I hope it applies to our meeting today. Spurgeon said, May the dove-like spirit now brood over this assembly and create love in all our hearts. And that's my prayer, is that the Holy Spirit would brood over us as we listen to God's word today, and that there would just be a spirit of love in our hearts. As we look at the text, we're exhorted to 
cast aside the things of the world and seek those things which are above. Look at verse number 1, Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. Finish the verse. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. We destroy our Christian testimony and our walk with God by worldliness. You know this. If I'm going to be pure, though, if I'm going to shun the world, I've got to seek the things of Christ, the things that are above. Why? Because why above? Because that's where Christ is. And Christ knows much about forgiveness. Because on the cross, Christ prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I've got a question for you here today. If Jesus can forgive a Roman soldier that's driving a nail through his hand, who can't you forgive? Tell me. You and I are not that special. I'm sorry to say that, but we're not. No one in this room today has been treated as badly as Jesus Christ. Yet he forgave and he set the example that we are to emulate We're to forgive just like Jesus did. You say Jesus is perfect. He is perfect. He's God. But my answer to that would be because of his perfection, we should have resurrection power to live the Christian life, to fulfill his commands, including forgiveness. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If Esau can forgive Jacob for stealing his birthright, then I can forgive my wife or my children or a gossiping church member, and you can forgive anybody in this room or outside of this room and be right with God. I believe the text is teaching us, if we look at the chapter as a whole, that a person who fails to forgive is a person that has forgotten that he is supposed to be dead to sin. We're to be dead to sin. Look at verse number three. For ye are dead. Dead. Now, I don't know how many funerals you've been to, but what I've noticed uh, is that dead people normally don't have a will to do anything. They don't have a will of their own. Why? Because they're dead. Now, if you attend a funeral and somebody sits up and says, hey, what's going on here? Uh, Take off running real fast because dead people aren't supposed to have a will of their own. And if we're dead to sin, if we are crucified with Christ, then why don't you get rid of your own will and forgive? It is an inward rebellion to withhold forgiveness. And it is a rebellion that can be remedied only one way. And that's by just letting it go. Letting it go. God commands us to put off the sins of the flesh. Unforgiveness is one. Just like you would take off a jacket or sweater. Take it off, the Bible says. You know, look at verse number 8. Just like I take off this jacket. Look with me at verse number 8. The Bible says, but now ye also put off all these things. Anger, wrath, blasphemy filthy communication out of your mouth. 
Later in the chapter, Paul describes the graces that we should be characterized with. He speaks of the new man. And the new man should be different than the old man. Now again, you remember what you were before you were saved. Okay? And I don't care what measure of sin you were involved in, that was the old man. And the old man is supposed to be put off. And the new man put on. Look at verse number 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We're to put off one thing and put on the other. And then our text in verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Elizabeth Elliot's husband, Jim Elliot, was a missionary to a South American tribe of Indians. After only 27 months of marriage, I can't even imagine this, 27 months of marriage, he was murdered by the Indians that God called him to go preach to. She did remarry. Her second husband died of cancer. As a widow, she actually went back to that same tribe of Indians that had killed her husband to bring the gospel to them. What could allow a woman to do something like that? There's only one answer, forgiveness. I see three things in the text that I'd like you to see as well. I see the forbearance, and then I see the actual forgiveness. And then I see the faithfulness. Let's start with the forbearance. The Bible says in verse number 13, forbearing one another. That word forbear literally means to have or hold. To have or hold. Now there's, I'm sure, some people in this room that are contemplating marriage. And when you get married, you're going to stand there and say, to have and to hold. And you'll be smiling all giddy because to you that means, man, I get to hold her. I get to have her. But the meaning of the word forbearance is that vow that you're making. To have or to hold in a different way. It's normally the first thing in the marriage to go out the window. The word forbear or to have or hold means to bear with. To bear with or to endure. How are you enduring others in your educational experience here? How are you enduring others? See, I don't like her. How are you enduring others in the dorm? How are you enduring others on the bus route? How are you enduring others in your ministries? How are you holding others up? To put it simply, the word forbear means to put up with willingly. To put up with. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there with me. How tolerant are you toward your fellow man? Do you snap? Do you snap? Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah, Pastor Lewis, I snap. That's not forbearance. You're in disobedience to God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity 
of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You're not forbearing one another if you're taking jabs at one another. Now, now listen, I know the devil, and I know that he'll speak to your heart during a message like this, and I know that when the amen at the end is said, you'll walk out of those doors, and Satan, like the, the beast that he is, will rip God's truth out of your heart, and you'll forget that God even dealt with you about this. Again, if you're taking jabs at one another, that's not forbearance. Okay? You're not forbearing one another if you're talking about one another. Talking about one another. You say, oh, no, we're good Christian kids. We don't do that. Talking about one another. You're not forbearing one another if you have a bad attitude towards somebody else. That's the opposite of forbearance. How about this? Being cold towards somebody. There's no room for it. How about this? You're not forbearing one another if you can't stand to be in the presence of one another. There are some people whose company I enjoy more than others. There's nothing wrong with being human. Okay? We're human. Okay? And there are some people that I'd rather be around than others. But listen, if you say I can't stand to be in the presence of that other Christian brother or sister, then I'm saying, is that forbearance? When a Christian won't forbear one another, it's normally because of naked pride. And this is the famous statement. We're not compatible together. We just don't get along. Okay? Not only does that not have to be the case, it's also not an excuse. Verse number 10, go back to our text passage, Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 10 the Bible says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now look at verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we're all equal in our spiritual standing. We're all equal in our spiritual privilege. We are not all equal in our spiritual function. There are teachers that are above us. There's different uh, functions. I understand that we have authority in that way. But in our, 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 our standing before God and in our privilege before God, the Bible says we're all the same. That means every Christian should be treated with dignity. Every Christian should be treated with respect. There's no room for racism. That's why racism is so idiotic, because of the Bible. Now, I don't care what house you grew up in, and I don't care what type of jokes your dad used to tell when he was carnal or what you heard from Uncle So-and-so in his carnality. There is no room for racism in God's church. None whatsoever. The Bible says so. Argue with God. Whether they live under your roof or not, you should treat them with brotherly love. Let your differences be what they may. Forbear one another. Forbear one another. Now, I know some people are real difficult. And you're thinking of that person right now. Pastor Lewis, I could do it if it weren't for that one person. Matthew 5.9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they shall be called the children of God. God says you need to be a, a peacemaker. Uh, I'm not talking about the type of peacemaker that, that you wear right here. I carry a peacemaker. I'm not carrying it right now, but when I preach in the pulpit, I'm carrying my peacemaker. 45, Smith & Wesson. Yeah, the peacemaker. And, uh, you know, Chicago, where you're going tomorrow, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I was in my office after the service, and I heard 20, at least 20 rounds right outside of our church building. And I, Lois hit the, she was in the office with me, Lois hit the floor! We hit the floor, and then another round started. And then it was quiet. And then we got up and went about our business. <laughs> Welcome to Chicago. Uh, and so, yeah, I have a peacemaker. But that's not what the Bible's saying here when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. He says, you need to be a peacemaker. Are you? Are you a peacemaker? You say, what's significant about that cross-reference? Well, look at Colossians 3, verse number 15. The Bible says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. God wants peace in his church. He wants peace among his believers. Don't be part of the problem. If you're a child of God, you should be a peacemaker. Forbearance. And then second, I want us to look at the actual forgiveness. Verse 13, forgiving one another. A lack of forgiveness suggests some very bad things that I want you to consider. They suggest an attitude of spiritual superiority over others. I have a right to withhold forgiveness from you. And in that way, I'm, I'm better than you. You're not as good as me. It shows you to be selfish, egocentric. The Bible says to be meek. Not weak, but meek. It, told, it shows you to be hard-hearted. It's also very presumptuous. Listen to where I'm going. It's presumptuous in its sinfulness, because you are presuming that you're going to have time later on to possibly make it right with that person, and you don't know that. It's cold, it's bitter. And what I've noticed is that Christians that are this way have the audacity to operate as if they're right with God. No, they're not. I was never supposed to, I told you this was personal to me, I was never supposed to forgive my father for what he did to me. You say, what did he do to you? Uh, nothing. <laughs> he was never there. Never there. I was supposed to kill him. That was my plan. I was going to grow up and murder my father because he was never there. And I hated him. As much as I could hate anybody, I hated him. I hated him for lying to the courts. I hated him for um, when the blood test was given and he was shown to be my father. I hated him for wearing uh, old, tattered, dirty clothes to make it look like he didn't have anything to support me when the truth was he drove Cadillacs and drove around the city collecting rent from his properties. I hated him. You say, what happened? I got saved. And you say, was it hard when you got saved to forgive him? No. You say, why? 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Man, if forgiveness isn't a reflex with you, then what's wrong? What's wrong? Anybody can hold a grudge. Any fool can hold a grudge. It takes character and, for, and, 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 and forgiveness in your heart because of what God's done for you to offer that forgiveness to someone else. It takes something real to forgive that God can grant. How about the word reconciliation? I say again, any fool can hold a grudge. If I had a nice apple tree in my backyard and uh, Levi came with this peacemaker and shot up my apple tree and it stood there all mangled up, I mean, things looking sad. The more I left it there and stared at that thing, the madder I would get. Man, I look out my window and I think of Levi. What am I going to do to this guy when I see him next? And I go do something, and then, you know, I have to take the dog out, and I'd, I'd see the apple tree mangled up. You know, he took his shotgun and blew apart my, my apple tree. If I really want to forgive Levi, I've got to cut that tree down and forget about it. And I'm preaching this message because I'm convinced there are some trees in your life that you have not cut down, yet you keep staring at them, and they just make you more and more bitter. holding a grudge today, cut it down. James Garfield was a lay preacher, and they say he was ambidextrous and could get this right Greek with one hand and right Latin with the other hand at the same time. In 1980, he was elected president of the United States. A man that can do that should be president. After only six months in office, he was shot in the back with a revolver. He never lost consciousness. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger to try to find the bullet, but he couldn't. He tried some type of a silver-tipped instrument that they had in that day, and still they couldn't find it. They took the president back to Washington, D.C., and the summer was extremely hot. They tried to keep him comfortable, but he was growing more and more weak. There was a team of doctors at this point all probing for that bullet over and over and over again. In desperation, they got a hold of a man named Alexander Graham Bell, who was working on a little device at that time called the telephone, and they said, can you come and try to get this metal out of the president's body? And he too failed. The president hung on through July, August, but in September he finally died, not because of the gunshot wound, but because of the infection from the constant probing. Listen, you keep letting that probing get to you, you're the one that's going to be infected. It's going to hurt you much more than it hurts anyone else. Too much probing. Go to Mark with me, chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. This is one of those sins of the heart, isn't it? This is one of those things where you can look like a godly fundamentalist Christian on the outside and be as rotten as can be on the inside because of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Mark chapter 11, verse number 25. Words of Christ. 
Mark eleven twenty five. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. As much as I know, I couldn't preach this message, but as if it weren't the case. But as much as I know, I, there's no one that has done wrong toward me that I have not forgiven, completely and fully. Can you say that? Can you say that? And then you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew 16, 14, Jesus said, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Boy, if we're not forgiving, then where are we really in our walk with God? Are we kind of in our walk with God like a Muslim would be? Or a Catholic would be? Are we just spinning our wheels and going through motions i don't know about you but when i get up in the morning and it's time to have devotions i want to walk with god i want to play games if i'm withholding forgiveness from somebody i'm just playing games wasting time the forbearance the forgiveness and then third i want you to see the faithfulness go back to our text in colossians 3 colossians 3 verse number 13 i want you to see the faithfulness at the end of the text verse Colossians 3, 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, here's the faithfulness, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive us, and so I should be faithful to forgive others. How faithful is he to forgive? We know what the scripture says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. People are going to do you wrong. And some of the people that do you wrong are going to do you wrong again. Those same people. And they'll yet do you wrong again. And, and it's easy for us to throw up the carnal defenses. It's like a reflex. Man, it used to be you go to the doctor and uh, they check your reflexes. You know, take that little thing and bam, you know, kick the doctor in the nose. See if your reflexes are okay. And I'm saying the reflex of a Christian should instantly be to forgive. And this can be so if you're operating under the, 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 the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. When Christ was done wrong, he instantly forgave. It was a reflex. He didn't sit on it until it blew over. People say, I'll forgive but give me time. That's stupid. Because that time can just make the thing fester more and more and more. And if they do you wrong again in the meantime, you just throw that on the pile too. There's only one way to be clear daily, and that's to forgive instantly. Let me ask you, when a sinner comes to Christ for salvation, is that sinner forgiven instantly? Ephesians 4.32 again says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as Christ hath forgiven you. How did he forgive? Instantly. When I was a kid, we had what was called the magic slate. And that thing fascinated me as a kid. It really wasn't that complicated, but it fascinated me. I loved it. You could start drawing you can make an absolute mess. You can make the most ridiculous picture on earth, but it was okay because when you pulled that sheet, it all erased. It was gone, and you could start over again. 
God gives us an opportunity when we're saved to have a clean slate. And when we make a mess after coming to Christ, if we'll confess and forsake, he'll, he'll give us another clean slate. And, and, and listen, that sin wasn't a small thing to God. It was a serious offense to him. I love that song, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? The modern songwriters want to take that out of the hymn and make it such a, a sinner as I, so that man doesn't look so bad. But I'm telling you, I was a worm. So were you. He made us his own children. And he did it instantly. Did Jesus make you wait? Did he put you on a forgiveness waiting list and say, uh, give me some time? No. Did he make you sweat it out? No. He forgave freely and instantly. Go thou and do likewise. I don't care how bad they've wronged you. You say, well, he was God. Well, let me give you somebody that followed his Savior, somebody that was not God. Look at Stephen. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. He learned something from Christ, and it served him well in a great hour of need. Now, Stephen was not an apostle. He was not a pastor. He was not an evangelist. He was a layman at the church at Jerusalem. We would be well in calling him a deacon, according to Acts chapter 6. But he had a reflex that he learned from Jesus. What was his reflex? Acts chapter 7, verse number 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Boy, that, that's, a, that's a martyr's privilege. Verse 56, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Where did he learn that? He learned it from Jesus. Where are you going to learn that? You'll learn it from Jesus. Quit making excuses. You'll destroy your life. Now, there was somebody that heard that prayer to God. God forgive them. There was somebody that heard that. The Bible says it was a young man named Saul. Saul. Who wrote our text. He learned it from his master. And he taught it to Saul. The message is just about done. You'll never be able to say that you didn't hear it preached right to you that you need to let it go. You'll never be able to use that excuse. Now, how can we work this passage of Scripture out into our lives practically? It begins in chapter 3, verse 18. This is how we can make it practical. 
Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, I understand that there are direct commands given uh, to these people about the people that are under them. Uh, but the truth also remains that these are all people that can do us wrong, that can fail us. And these are the people that we need to forgive. And I would add your bus captain. I would add your Sunday school teacher. I would add your college professor. I would add your dorm mate. I would add your sibling. Care how bad their socks stink. Your sibling. Verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall, for, shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. People say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. I've heard that said before. My friend, forgiveness isn't based on your memory. It's not based on your ability to get that thing out of your mind as if it never happened. You can't force your brain to forget something, but you can forgive. Jesus never said forget. He said forgive. There's a family that attended our church for several years regularly. They don't attend now. But the wife just experienced a tragedy because her husband was killed in a car accident. They were all together on spring break, April 20th, driving in Georgia. Husband was driving and they ran into a ditch. Blunt force trauma to the head. The wife and daughter walked away from the accident. Husband was killed at the scene. I went and visited with that wife last week, and she just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and said, I never had the chance to say I'm sorry. She knew she wasn't the wife she should have been. That's one of the reasons they're, they're, they're not in our church. She knew she wasn't the wife she should have been, and she was broken because she never had the opportunity to get it right. Friend, if you're withholding forgiveness, let it go. Father, I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to go through the catalog of people that we feel have wronged us to the point where we can't forgive. I don't know how you'll use this message. I thank you for using your word in my heart and in my life to convince me of my need to forgive. And I thank you for the power to do it when I didn't have the power to do it. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd work in this invitation. I pray that some serious decisions would be made, that some people today would be let out of the prison house of unforgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand to your feet.